why we're looking at David, King David, uh, as he is kind of, but not quite yet, but we'll explain that in a moment. And Abigail, why are we looking at these characters in this chapter? It's because it's part of our series, Men and Women in Christ, A Divine Harmony. Of course, this is pre the time of Christ, but the point being, how does God intend men and women to function together well, to be in good relationship not just husband and wife, because David and Abigail, well, to spoil the punchline, I don't know, but they end up as man and wife, but they aren't through the story we're looking at today. So what do we learn about the way that God has planned, hoped, dreamt that men and women in Christ, in God, can work well together? And what We'll learn some lessons, I think, here today from this, I hope, useful to you, to us as a congregation, and beyond. So where are we? I think we should go to the story and read the whole thing. It's long, but I think, you know, let's get into it and use your imagination, right? There's no point reading the Bible without using your imagination. So imagine yourself there all those hundreds, in fact, thousands of years ago as we dig into this passage. So beginning of chapter 25, Samuel has died. Samuel, the prophet, judge, uh, priest has died and everybody is buried and David goes down to the desert of Paran. It says, a certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, that's for that area, was very wealthy. Thousand goats, three thousand sheep, he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, or Nabal. His wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, just like all the women here today. Amen. I was hoping for an amen. <laughs> okay. Uh, she was intelligent. Our husband, though, was surly and mean in his dealings. I'm not going to say anything about the men here. No, that's completely unlike any of the men here. A amen to that? Okay. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard the Nabal had been shearing sheep. He sent ten young men, said to them, go to Nabal at Carmel, greet him in my name, say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. The whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, they'll tell you, therefore be favorable toward my men, since we come at festival, a festive, festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal his message in David's name, then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you, strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messages from the wilderness to give our masters greetings. He hurled insults at them, yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. The whole time we were out in the fields near them, Nothing was missing. Night and day, there were a wall around us the whole time. We were herding our sheep near them. Now, think it over and see what you can do. Because disaster is 
hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sears of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins and two hundred cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. She told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine where there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He's paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely. If by morning I leave one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey, bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon my servant, my Lord, your servant, my Lord. Let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. As for me, your servant, I did not see the men my lord sent. And now, my lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my lord be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord the God of Israel who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him. He became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I am your servant and I'm ready 
to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. David had also married Ahinoam of Jezreel and they both were his wives. But Saul had given his daughter Michal to Paltiel, David's wife, to Paltiel, son of Laish, who was from Galim. Wow. What a story, huh? What are we learning here about God's intentions for men and women? I wonder what you see in this passage. Where are we? First of all, we are in this area. If it'll stay there, there we go. Ma'al and Car Carmel. Oh, it's not Carmel. That's supposed to be an end there. Carmel are in roughly the same area where that red star is in the southern area of Israel. That's where David has run away. Who has he run away from? Saul. King Saul. Why has he run away from King Saul? Because King Saul's trying to kill him. What does he do? He, he throws a spear at him while David's playing some music. Maybe he. Maybe the harp wasn't in tune or something. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Anyway, so he's running away. He's in the caves. He's in the wilderness. The wilderness looked something like that. I mean, not exactly a garden, right? There were some nicer bits. It wasn't all like that, but this is the kind of area where David is hiding and where he is as we uh, find this story. So David's context is Samuel, his key supporter. Samuel was his, like, the one who anointed him as, as the king to be. And Samuel's just died. So he's got no one in any position of power or influence left to support him. He's really on his own. And Saul has just killed all the priests, except one who escaped to go to be with David. So there's one priest left of all the priests. There's no prophet. There's no Samuel. He's just there in the desert. He's king anointed, but not yet appointed. So a bit like our king Charles was crowned yesterday. And so that was put, but he was still already king in waiting. You could say a bit like that. That's David's situation. His wife has been given away to somebody else. I mean, that's a bit rough, isn't it? I mean, you get chased out of town, and then King Saul takes David's wife, Michal, and gives her to this other person. Father-in-law. Father yeah, exactly. Um, and, okay, so Nabal. Let's talk briefly about Nabal, whose name means fool. Uh, it's probably a nickname, maybe not his main name. Have you ever heard of nominative determinism? Okay, what does nominative determinism mean? It's like if your name was, like, my name was Leon Baker, I became a baker. All right, Leon Baker becoming a baker. That idea that maybe you get a name and it leads you into your profession, right? Um, uh, Usain Bolt? Bolt? No? Yes? Possibly? I don't know. There was a judge called Judge Judge. No, no. No, his first name wasn't Judge, but his surname was Judge, and he was appointed a judge in 2019 in Pennsylvania. Uh, Dr. Toothacre? He's a dentist. He actually is a dentist. Or what about Dr. Joy Bliss? Now, there's a name. She's a psychologist who specializes in happiness and well-being. Dr. Joy Bliss. That sounds good. Dr. Dr. Careful. Oh, I'd like to be on Dr. Careful's list. Yes. A former price, uh, sorry, a former West White House press secretary was called Larry Speaks. Did quite a lot of speaking. Or a renowned pain management specialist. His name is Dr. Richard Payne. <laughs> Spelled differently. And of course, there is always Holly Wood, who is a filmmaker, actress, and director. Her name is Holly Wood. I know. Now, I don't really believe in nominative determinism, but uh, now and again, you, there's something sort of fits. And we have here a fool whose nickname at least is Fool. And then we have David and Abigail. So let's, um, let's talk about David and Abigail a little bit here by going to Abigail first. Okay, tell me, 
What do you see in her character? In that story of David and Abigail, what stood out to you about her character? Kindness. Kindness. Wisdom. Some wisdom, yeah. Um, She's brave. She's brave, yes. Yes, that's right. She's gone with it straight away. Righteous, decisive, righteous. Simon? Humble. Humble, very much. Politically astute. <laughs> <laughs> Politically astute. She knew which way the wind was blowing. She did. Stefan? That's what a question. I'm puzzled by why she would be taking such an evil Yeah, but by her own mouth. Yeah, that wicked man. His name means fool and folly goes with him. Why would she protect him? Why would she protect him? She protects herself. He was very wealthy. I mean, that's not a bad situation on some level. Okay. Maybe it's the fact that politically astute and wise, she's recognizing her husband's faults. Because in a sense, you've got to talk to David, you've got to find a way to stop the woman killed by him, basically. Right. So you recognize that he's, I know he's, I know he's not an easy man, but he's a good man. You're kind of the advantage in that sort of thing. You're trying to not get away with the picture. Yeah, makes sense. She listened to her employees. She listened to her employees, the servants. That's an interesting thing yes. for somebody in that culture. Akin. Well, it's possible. Okay, maybe protecting children. Okay, protecting people that she's connected with. Yeah, Femi? She spoke rather like someone making a prophecy. That is interesting. Was there one other? I saw a hand somewhere. Yeah? No? Okay. There's a few things about her that are interesting and very admirable, I would say. First of all, about her, her, her character. Um, she went to meet David and found him in a ravine. This is a photograph that I took when Penny and I were in Israel a few years ago. This is the road from Jerusalem down to Damascus. Maybe not exactly where this would have taken place, but similar, uh, similar geography. And we're standing up on the top of the hills there and looking down into the ravine. And it's way, way down. I mean, it's, it's very steep-sided. And when you're down there at the base of a, a ravine, you are very vulnerable. To be ambushed, you're stuck. You, getting back out of a ravine is very hard to reverse. And that's where she encounters David in a mountain ravine in verse 20. So what do we learn about her? I would say all the things you just said. She's very courageous. She's going up against David, who is a renowned military tactician. Do you remember the Philistines, his enemies, sang songs about him? He was so effective. They hated him and admired him at the same time. And David, was it Saul has killed his thousands? David has killed his, killed his tens of thousands? I mean, this is no fly-by-night um, part-time security guard. This is someone who's a skilled warrior. She's going up to talk to him with his experienced armed militia. 
uh, you could say, his army. So she is courageous. She is humble. She is humble in that she gets down on her knees uh, there in front of uh, David. She gets off her donkey, jumps off quickly, bows down, face to the ground. She asks for forgiveness. It's not her fault, but she's asking for that. She's straight talking. You know, Mabel is a fool. That's just the reality of life. And she has a plan. My plan is, please take all this food. And if you don't mind, it'd be great if you could leave us alone. I mean, but she has a plan. She's generous and she brings all of this food, which is a large quantity of food. It says something about Nabal's wealth that he wasn't going to miss all this food. He is so wealthy and he was extremely wealthy in the day when you look at it, the numbers that are adding up here. But she herself is generous. She is savvy. She's politically aware. She's up on the politics. I rather think, I may be reading too much into this, so you can tell me, but I rather think that her reference to the sling is smart. Why would that be? Goliath, right? That's how he killed Goliath, remember? Reminding David of a miraculous thing that God called him and helped him to do. She talks about the sling um, in, in that passage. And she appeals to his conscience. Not just right and wrong, but your conscience. This is quite deep, actually. You don't want to have this on your conscience. And she appeals to his godliness. She knows he is a man of God. So she appeals to that. And she has a God focus herself. Like Benny said, there's a prophetic side of it, isn't there here? Your enemies will, you'll be, will be holed away like from the pocket uh, of, a, uh, of a sling. And when everything, when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised and has anoint, appointed him ruler over Israel and so on, uh, when the Lord God has brought my Lord successor, remember your servant. There's a sense in which she's connecting with him on a God level. Very interesting things about Abigail. Okay, let's talk about David for a minute. So what do we learn about David's character? What do you see? Think about David and his behavior here. What does it tell us about him? He was receptive. Receptive to her. Yeah. Yeah. A godly anger? A righteous anger? Maybe. Yeah. Okay. What is, sorry? Emotional. He was, wasn't he? We know that about David. You read the Psalms and other things in his life. Yeah. An overreaction. Okay, so maybe impetuous. Maybe. Okay, strap your sword on, off we go. All right, what else do we know about David? Strategic. In what sense? What's my next step? He's strategic in that sense, okay? He knows it's harvest time, it's festival time, the shearing going on. Okay, what, what's my part in this? Yeah? He and his men were hungry. They were hungry. <laughs> he and his men were hungry. 600 men, that's right. Out there living off the land, as far as we can tell. Okay, kind of been easy. Maybe he's trying to keep his men happy. Hey, chaps, let's go and have a meal. There's that church down the road. They're doing food after church. Let's all go. <laughs> He knows a worthy woman when he sees one. Good judge of character. Yeah. Okay. Akin. Despite these emotional 
still responding to to him move away and get to him. But how are you going to listen to So this the end of it to find out is that I mean she was very quick to get her food to give it. She did listen. It is interesting, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but when I'm upset about something, I'm generally not in the best mood to listen. All right? But he does manage that. So that something goes right there, doesn't it? Yeah. He must have, he saw his commander respecting his men. And because Nabal clearly has a rant, has a real old rant, but they respect what David has told them to do. They don't go, they don't overstep the mark he's set for them. But they go back to him and say, so they don't do a sorry reaching vengeance themselves. They know that David is their boss, basically. So he fears a man who would command respect from his Hebrew servant. From his troops. I think that's a really good insight. He, his men respect him. We see that partly because of the what's happened before this, that they've been protecting Nabal and all that. But also, as you're, you're right, I mean, these were fighting men, used to getting their way. They've been insulted, greatly insulted, and their leader has been insulted in front of them with Nabal, but they don't act. They go back and they report. Disciplined men. A good leader, David, right? That tells us he's a good leader of men. How many men were sent to the fight? 400, sorry, 600 altogether. Nabal. Oh, Nabal. Yeah. Oh, so how many men would he have had? Yeah, because how did he know how many men David. David should take? Yeah, how did he know how many to take with him? Did he know how many he would stop from fighting? Well, David's men were soldiers, and uh, they were by the farmer. He's also, he's asked by the hand, he's a There were 10 men, right, that went to, from David to Nabal. Um, it would have been enough to make quite a mess, yeah, uh, I would think. Again, these are trained fighting men. Yeah. yeah. God sent her. He sees God at work. As, as no human being is perfect, you could argue that uh, David, uh, bearing in mind what happened with Bathsheba, uh, had, had an eye for a beautiful woman. <laughs> yes. she, she is described as beautiful. She is, and so maybe he noticed that and may have had an effect on him. Mm. Mm. Wouldn't be the first man that's happened to, yes. Abigail, sure. She's on a donkey, not on a horse. Yeah. Is that significant? Yeah, I don't know. Is the honest answer how significant that is? But it might be. It could be. Yeah. So that kind of terrain, I think you're probably right. You'd rather be on a donkey, I think, most of the time. I mean, He's decisive. 
were decisive about trying to kill all the men and decisive about snapping up the available Abigail as quickly as she became available. She didn't, didn't hang about. Okay, quite right, David. Um, just back to what you said, I'm saying, I guess, I mean, in a, in a modern culture for the wine, um, I think I'll put it off in my life to come to something like that. I guess we've been, I'm probably seen by David, we've been saying something. And probably for her to be something like that, we realized actually how astute she was to, to do something like that in a yeah, in that kind of culture, a lot of things that are happening here are countercultural, and we're seeing how each individual reacts to it, and then what God makes of it. Let me let me move on a bit here, and then we'll take communion in a short while. A few things I think we see, which you've all mentioned. Firstly, David is God focused. He's recognizing that God is at work. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. Uh, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives kept me from harming it. He sees God as involved in that and other places. Uh, he is decisive. He's decisive in uh, taking revenge, and then he's decisive about not taking revenge, and then he's decisive about getting Abigail uh, to become his wife. Um, David is able to shift very quickly when he needs to. Something interesting there. He is humble. He's not humble all the time, but he does display humility here. He responds to Abigail, and again, in this culture, he's responding to a woman, which in that culture was not, you just generally, you didn't talk to men, outside of your home especially, and not with your husband around. So he's responding to her, and he accepts her instruction. I mean, I, I see this as, as I think significant in the passage. She is teaching him about God's work, and he accepts it. Don't go against God, is what she's saying. And he says, you've got, it, you, you've got it right, I've got it wrong. I'm going to go your way. And uh, he affirms her. He calls, he blesses her. She tells, um, she praises God for her. So he affirms her, what she's doing. He gives credit to her. And the thing about David that I really like, I mean, there's lots of things about David that are a bit messed up, like all of us. There are lots of things that are admirable. But one of the things about David, and I think one of the reasons he's, we have so much about him in scripture, and we're meant to imitate this about him for sure. David was really good at repenting. Yeah. Of all the things he was good at, he was a good leader, yeah. He was a poet and a musician. Brilliant stuff in the Psalms, right? He was, at times, smart. He was a good strategist sometimes. But at the end, what was he best at? I think he was best at understanding and accepting the fact God would accept his repentance. Even with the situation with Bathsheba, as somebody referenced, which is awful. I mean, you can't get much worse than that. We'll come, maybe that, come back to that another time, some other time. But even then, he believes that God will accept his repentance, his broken spirit, his humble heart. And that tells us something about what makes relationships work between us and God and between us here and between men and women. It's not about being right or wrong, and it's certainly not about being perfect and, and treating each other correctly all the time, that we wish we could, but we don't. It's about recognizing when we've wronged God and wronged one another and repenting, to use that biblical word. And he is so good at this. So a few thoughts to wrap up about them both, about what I think we learn. I think one thing we learn is that vulnerability is no barrier to effectiveness for God. 
Abigail is vulnerable. She's vulnerable because she's got an idiotic husband. She's vulnerable in that culture because without him, she could be destitute. We hear nothing about her family. They were probably wealthy or he, he wouldn't have married her, but we don't hear anything. Somebody said about the children, I think I can, she may have had children, but there's no mention. So we don't know what would have happened if, you know, if maybe she, she didn't have grown up children. They might've been able to take care of her, but no, she's vulnerable. And she goes to David in that vulnerability and does something against her culture and against her husband for which he could get into terrible trouble and he might divorce her. And then she does that and in her vulnerability, she enables God's will to be done. I think that's helpful because all of us are vulnerable in certain ways in life, health or age or financial challenges, or maybe when we are encountering racism or misogyny and things like that, we, become, we know we're vulnerable. Even as a Christian, sometimes at work and places like that, we're vulnerable if we hold on to our faith and our beliefs. But vulnerability is no barrier to being effective. And that we see Christ in this, I think. Philippians chapter two, what did Jesus do? He made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant. In other words, deliberately making himself vulnerable, becoming like us, so that God could work through him. If Jesus had not deliberately made himself vulnerable, God couldn't have done what he did. And so I'm not saying that we should uh, celebrate vulnerability or think that all situations of vulnerability are healthy. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is if you feel vulnerable, if you're in a life situation that makes you more vulnerable, that is no barrier to God doing something amazing and wonderful even possibly historic through you. Vulnerability is no barrier to effectiveness. Jesus is our inspiration, and that helps us to accept one another. We talked about this last time, Ephesians 2, 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission requires and is an experience of vulnerability. We do this because it is Christ-like. As well as vulnerability, the second thing, and my last thing here, is to see that pressure reveals character. The pressure on Nabal of the 10 men turning up revealed his character. The pressure on David initially reveals his character. Strap on your swords, chaps, let's go and have a fight. But with Abigail, the pressure on her revealed her godliness. And then David changed. Paul talks about this, about the troubles he experienced. He was under great pressure, far beyond his ability to endure. We despaired of life itself. We felt we'd received the sentence of death, he felt. But this happened. Those are the key words here in this passage. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead by the way, does the impossible. He has delivered us, and he will deliver us again on him, we have set our hope. He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Let's not think that prayer doesn't have an effect. And we pray for Alex. And we pray for the family that were bereaved. We pray for Ian Williams. We pray for people who are vulnerable. And God will act. He cares about the vulnerable and the marginalized. It's a wonderful thing. But pressure does reveal character. Nabal gets uglier. Abigail gets more beautiful, in a sense, in the rounded sense of everything. And David, you could say, gets more spiritual, eventually, after Abigail has confronted him. We need people in our lives that will challenge us to see things from God's perspective. So we learn many things about God, as did David. He learned that God was at work in this very difficult situation. He was kept from wrongdoing, 
And, David, and God sorted the situation out with Nabal without David having to do that. He recognized that it was God who sent Abigail to him. And we recognize that God has sent Jesus to us to be the mediator between us and God. Abigail acts as a mediator between Nabal and David. Jesus acts as the mediator between us and our God. Now, our God is not a Nabal. He's not like that. But he is righteous and holy, and we are not. And we need this mediator, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for many. So as we take some bread and wine in a moment, we're doing that to remind ourselves of the wonderful mediator we have. And I hope and pray that today's thoughts about Abigail and David are useful for us, uh, help us to understand how God wants us to work together. Men and women have different perceptions and can see the way in which God is working in different ways. We need each other. Sometimes we need to challenge one another. Sometimes we need to understand even though we're vulnerable, we're not in a place where we can't be ineffective. And when the pressure comes on us, and if we trust in God, we will find that he's able to support us in what he's called us to do.